Depending on your tradition, my guess is that either later tonight or tomorrow sometime, you will be opening presents and gifts from one another. And I'm also guessing that the kids in the room here this morning, you are terribly excited about this. And it's likely you're having a hard time thinking about anything else. At least that's how I was as a kid. Gifts are a wonderful thing, aren't they? We celebrate this each and every year. They're an opportunity not only for us to to receive love from each other, but to also show tangibly our love for others as we think what might be important to that person and what might help them. And then, of course, there's also that joy, right? The joy that you get in giving that perfect gift to your loved one. The joy of seeing that person thrilled as they open up your present and it causes delight to come into their hearts. Sometimes that joy is far better than even getting a gift itself, right? I think this is part of the reason that so many of us love Christmas. It's an opportunity for us to express our love to one another through many gifts. Well, it's my hope that during this gift-giving season, that these tangible gifts that we give and receive remind us ultimately of the greatest gift that we have ever received from God himself. That this gift that God gives us wouldn't be overshadowed by the gifts that we receive or give, but that his gift would become all the more richer and real to us as we demonstrate in a small way to one another what God himself has done for us. And so that's what we contemplate here this morning. What has God done for us? Well, as we've been singing, he's given us the gift of his only son, his precious son. And he could give us no more than this. For it is in the gift of Jesus that we all tangibly and concretely feel and know God's love for us. And so even as it is Christmas Eve today, my hope is that as we look at the gift of Jesus here this morning, that we would come to understand the deep, 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 deep love of Jesus for you and for me. That his love would come, become more deeply rooted in our hearts. So as we begin to think of God's love and this gift to us, where should we look? Well, we began where Christmas reminds us to look every year. The love of God in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. This is where we see God's love tangibly revealed to us. As 1 John 4, 9 tells us, God's love was revealed among us or it was made evident to us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is why we celebrate Jesus' birth here today. God sent his son to us. This is what we refer to as the incarnation. Jesus, God's eternal son, taking on flesh as a human being, as a baby, to deliver us from our sins. And Jesus does this. He comes to us in this way so that we might live and know his love forever. 
As you're probably already aware this morning, I don't have to tell you this, but as we look at the world all around us, I think we recognize that it is a very broken place. Our world is not filled with love or compassion, but it's more so filled with hate and violence everywhere we look. This is vividly seen even as we see the recent conflict between Israel and Pakistan, between Russia and Ukraine. And maybe you are receiving even the pain and brokenness of the world here this morning. The world is a broken place with broken people living in it all around us. But Jesus came to change that. He came into this world so that we might live and experience life and love. He came to us to push hatred out of our hearts and to fill our hearts with love for one another. He came so that we would live in harmony and unity with each other, so that we would no longer be divided, but together in Jesus. And so Jesus comes as a baby then to show us the way back to true life and true love. So what about this incarnation shows us God's love? Well, first, the incarnation reveals God's love as he takes the initiative to save us. In saving us, God doesn't wait for us to go to him. Instead, in love, he takes the initiative to come to save us. Jesus, God's eternal son, leaves the paradise of heaven. He leaves, he sacrifices the comforts, privileges, security, and the riches of heaven, and he comes into this broken and dark world where we are. A world that is filled with crime and violence, disease and death. A world filled with selfish, self-centered people. A world riddled with hurt and pain, and he leaves paradise, and he enters this world as a helpless, needy baby. God takes the initiative to save us as he reaches down from heaven to us in the incarnation. But then he also loves us in this way as he relates to our humanity. Even as we read in our New Testament text, Jesus was born into a lowly manger, and he's celebrated by the animals that surround him, a few shepherds and wise men on separate occasions, rather than the elite of society. And when we think about this, this is very, very radical, isn't it? Why does the God of the universe, who owns all things and sustains all things by the word of his mouth, descend into humanity in this very lowly and humble way. Have you ever thought about that? I think if we were writing the script, uh, we might tell the story a little bit differently, wouldn't we? I think we would say something like, the God of the universe descends with flashes of lightning. He comes as a fully grown man with greater strength than any man before him. He comes with thousands of angel armies upon his side, and he's celebrated by all the kings and rulers of the earth. He comes to earth to live in the biggest and most glorious city there ever was, with tens of thousands of servants at his call. We would make God's coming to earth 
so much greater in earthly terms, wouldn't we? But this is not what we see in Jesus' incarnation at all. The one who has power over all things comes as a helpless, needy baby. And he does this to relate to our humanity and our weaknesses. Jesus goes through the pain of learning just like we do. He has dirty diapers. He experiences scratches and bruises, probably the stubbed toe that we all face. He learns hardship and pain. And through it all, in love, Jesus learns to sympathize with all of our pains and weaknesses as a human being. In love, Jesus comes in a poor manner. He isn't born to a prestigious, wealthy family like we might expect, but one that is in need and without the comforts of the world. He is born into a stable of all things, fit for animals, and really not newborn infants. And in love, he was born into a family that had a scandalous reputation based on people believing that Jesus was born out of wedlock. Rather than having the advantage of being known among a respected and noble family, Jesus' background is just filled with a ton of questions. He doesn't come into the world with, with major advantages, but with many hindrances instead. And in love, he relates to those of us who have disadvantaged upbringings. In love, Jesus is made first known to common people, such as shepherds, commoners across the, the area. And in this, we see Jesus is for all people, and yes, even the most common of us. Jesus is for everyone. He relates to our humanity. And so in love, he's not, even as we've been singing, Jesus comes to save us, yes. But he comes to save us in the most unexpected of ways, by becoming like us, like the least of us. And it would be in this way, by relating to our humanity, that Jesus would become the perfect person to save us. Not as one without our struggles or pains, but one who is like us in every way. For even as Hebrews 2.17 tells us, Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. So by becoming like us, Jesus becomes the perfect person to save us so that we might live. He becomes the perfect person we can trust with our hurt and pain. And so we can run to Jesus. We can trust him with everything that we've gone through because he knows firsthand what it is to experience pain and suffering. He's experienced the brokenness of this world personally. And in love, Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, does all of this to save you and to save me. And so we see that Jesus doesn't only become our perfect representative and priest, uh, by, but he also does this by offering himself up then as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus descends to die for humanity. 
And so even as we just read in Hebrews 2.17, Jesus would become just like us to make atonement for our sins as the great high priest. But what we might miss is that Jesus himself would also be the sacrifice for our sins. Not only is he offering atonement for our sins, he is the very sacrifice himself. And this is what 1 John 4.10 reveals to us. Again, love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, who is our great high priest, was simultaneously the sacrifice for our sins. Now, it's important for us, I think, to understand what sins are if we are going to understand why Jesus needed to be sacrificed. So Jesus died for our sins, but, but what are sins, right? What are they? What does it mean to sin? And, and my guess is that uh, different people, it could mean a lot of different things. I think in our society, sometimes we talk about sin being, you know, something sinfully delicious, like it's almost a good thing, right? Or, or sin is just something that's kind of bad, right? You just shouldn't do it's bad for you. But when we talk about sin, according to the Bible, we're talking about our wrongdoings against the God of the universe who made all things and owns all things. We're talking about our rebellion and our crimes against the almighty creator of the universe. And while terribly, terribly unpopular, the Bible speaks plainly of humanity's rebellion against God by violating his commands and doing what they want instead of what God wants. And by sinning in this way, we cut ourselves off from the source of life, which is God himself. Our sin cuts us off from God. And so all of us are like a fan that's spinning, that's been unplugged from the wall. Sure, we'll continue to spin for a while in our life, but at the end of the day, just as the fan eventually stops without being plugged into the wall, so our life will also end. We are living on borrowed time due to our sin. And so like the fan, we are all eventually doomed to stop moving, stop living, and stop breathing. We are doomed to an eternal death due to our sins against God, which separates us from him. And this leaves us in a terribly hopeless situation altogether. We are helpless on our own, and there seems to be no cure in sight whatsoever. But God, seeing our helplessness doesn't leave us as we are, does he? He doesn't say, well, uh, you brought this on yourself, so figure it out on your own. He doesn't approach us that way. Instead, in love, God reaches down from heaven to us by sending his son, Jesus, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus, by sacrificing his life for us, makes it possible for our sins to be washed away, for us to receive forgiveness of our sins so that we can be with the source of life, God himself forevermore. And so this is what Paul explains in Romans 5, 9 and 10. He tells us that while we were still helpless, 
while we were still helpless, unable to do anything to save ourselves. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, this is amazing, Paul says, because rarely will anyone just die for a just person, though for a good person, someone might dare to die. But God proves his own love for us beyond a shadow of a doubt in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so it's in this amazing, overwhelming, mysterious love of God that we are captivated by. The Son dies for unworthy people so that we might live. I think this amazing, beautiful truth is sometimes really hard for us to wrap our heads around. But let's try to put it into perspective for just, just a moment more. Let's imagine for a moment that you have a son, right? And as a good parent, you love your son greatly. And he goes outside to play with his friend Timmy all the time. And so they, they get along well. But one day it turns out that Timmy has a defective heart and he's terminal. He only has days left to live unless he gets a heart transplant. And so Timmy's parents, who are desperate for their son to live, come to you and they ask you, would your son be willing to give up his heart for Timmy so that he might live? Now, what would you do in that situation? What would any rational parent say in this moment? You say, no way. Absolutely not. There's no doubt in my mind that you would say no and you try to do it in a nice and gracious way. You might say something like, hey, look, I feel for you, but my son would die if he did that. And to be honest with you, if this were a real life situation where my son's life could save my wife's or my own, where his heart could save me or my wife, guess what? We're not doing that. We're not taking our son's heart even to save a loved one. But even as Paul makes the point here in Romans 5, God says yes. And he willingly offers up his beloved son as a sacrifice for us all. And to make matters even more incredible, it's not like we were righteous people or people who are worthy of this gift. It's not like we were a friend of Jesus or a loved one, but instead, as Romans 5 tells us, we were ungodly sinners. We were rebels. We were enemies of God. And so where you and I would say, absolutely not, God says, yes, I will save you even if it means the death of my son. And Jesus says, yes, as he voluntarily lays down his life to save you and me. And so God gives us his son, Jesus, born as a baby and born to die an eternal death that we should have died for our sins against the Almighty. And through his death, through his atoning sacrifice, our sins can be forgiven and washed clean. We can know the Father again. Now you might say, well, that sounds great, Josh. 
but how do I know that Jesus' death was actually sufficient to pay for my sins? And we know that his death was sufficient because Jesus did not stay dead, did he? But after dying on a wretched cross for our sins, Jesus was raised to life again in victory over even death itself. And because of this, we can know with absolute certainty that our sins are truly forgiven indeed. And that one day, just as Jesus rose from the dead in the resurrection, so we too will be resurrected. Life has returned to us. And so death will not have the final word for those who live by faith in Jesus. So as we contemplate again this morning, the incarnate love of God in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already here this morning, to embrace this love that God shows for you. Embrace God's love by trusting in the resurrected Christ who died for you. Embrace Jesus by following him and living for him. For even as one of the most well-known verses tells us, for God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only beloved son for you, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So whether this is the first time you've heard this news or the thousandth time you've heard it, know of the immense love of God for you here this morning and believe in this Jesus and what he did for you. Receive the forgiveness of your sins and receive fullness of life and the hope of being with him forevermore. And for those of us who have doubts at times, about whether or not God loves you. Remember again, Jesus, born in a manger and born to die for you and for me. Remember the cross he suffered for our sins and see again God's mercy and love displayed there for you. So trust him, love him, worship him alone here this Christmas Eve. But then after coming to know this love of God through faith, know Know that God intends to use you to share this love we've received with others around us. And so briefly here, God intends to reveal his love through other, to others through you. As John continues for us, Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, in the giving up of his son as a sacrifice for you, we must love one another. And again, a few verses later, we love because he first loved us. So as we come to understand, really, the depth of God's eternal love for us, it's a love that radically transforms us from the inside out. And the depth of God's love is so great that once we experience it, it must course through us to others. And as we share in this very real love of God that we have experienced through faith, we make visible the invisible God here on earth. For even as John continues into the next verse, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us. God is made visible through us. He's evidenced in us. 
And his love is made complete in us. It's made full. So not only is the invisible God made known through our acts of love to one another, but his love is made full or complete in us as we love each other as we should. The full circuit of God's love is complete. And what we learn here then is that God's love for us is not an end of itself. And when we share it with others, we experience the fullness of love that we were meant to experience. So again, just as there's joy in buying a gift for someone else, that joy is not complete until that person gets the gift, right? It's not enough just to buy the gift. You have to give it to the person. And then the joy is experienced as they see what you got them. And the same is true with God's love for you and for me. Until God's love that we've received is shared with others as it's meant to be, we cannot experience the fullness of God's deep, infinite, rich love for us. And so this command then, to share this love with others, is not a burdensome task, but it's meant for our good. It's meant to reveal the Almighty to all of us. It's meant to fill up our life with love for each other in the same way that God loved us. And so for the few remaining moments that we have together, as we've contemplated God's gift of love to us, how can we share this love with others here on this Christmas day? First, if we want to love people as we truly should, we must again and again and again and again and again meditate on the love of God for us. This is the fuel that keeps us going and burning and able to love others as we should. It energizes us. It recharges us to love. For we cannot love one another unless we again meditate and grasp God's love for us. We must meditate first and keep coming back to it. But then second, we must take the initiative to care for one another and love one another, even as God has done for us. My hope is that we don't wait for people to come to us in need, but even as Jesus took the initiative to come to us in this broken world, let's take that kind of love and love others with that same initiative. So even in the smallest of ways here this Christmas, take the initiative to do the dishes, or help with the meal, or clean up the wrapping paper or house, or whatever it might be. And into a potentially bigger way, maybe consider helping someone who's stuck on the side of the road, if you're capable, of course, in, in helping that way. But may we be the kind of people that goes to others to fill needs, not wait for them to come to us, but go and show this kind of love to others around us. And then three, let us love one another by relating to others with the humility and care of Jesus. I think sometimes we, we unknowingly adopt the mindset of, of Santa Claus in our relationships more than the mindset of, of Jesus. And, and what do I mean by this? What I mean is that the mentality of Santa Claus is that he rewards those who are worthy of the gift, right? Those who have earned their toys. I mean, think of how that one song goes, right? He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. 
And the implication is that those who are good, those who are worthy, get the toys. And those who are bad, no, they don't get, they don't get any. And in a similar way, I think we're sometimes tempted to love people if they're on our nice list and we'll reward them with our presence if they're good to us. But those who are on the naughty list, those we don't like, forget them. Get out of here. I want anything to do with you. But Jesus' mindset is completely different. For even as we've contemplated this morning, he dies not for the worthy, right? He dies for the unworthy, which is all of us. And because Jesus does this for us, so we must do the same for others forevermore. We must love those who are unworthy of love, for such were we. So even as you may or, or may not be with distant relatives, crazy cousins, or just people that are unlovely for Christmas, remember the love of God for you. And in humility and care, love those people whom Jesus died to save and care for those people who are especially difficult to love. In this way, we love like Christ. And then finally, let us love one another through sacrificing for each other, even as Christ sacrificed his very own life for us. As we think about sacrificing for each other in this way that Jesus sacrificed for us, I think it can be overwhelming, right? This is hard, really? But as 1 John 3 tells us, he laid down his life for us, so we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, if we're taking this verse seriously, which we should be, this is incredibly difficult to do if you've ever tried it. To lay down your life, your interests, your welfare, your being for the good of others is no easy task. And so this is an area we must all grow in. And we grow in it by continuing to gaze upon the love of Christ, which makes this possible. But as we strive toward this and to sacrifice as Jesus does for us, I want to challenge you this morning to think and consider in what ways may God be calling you to sacrifice in love for someone around you. Whether it's your time, energy, or effort, in what ways is Jesus calling you to sacrifice for the good of those around you? God desires to use us tangibly to express himself in love. And so may we even be more aware this Christmas season. And when we are made aware of the deep needs around us, may we joyfully and thankfully sacrifice for the good of others, even as Jesus did for us. So in the noise and festivities of today and tomorrow, may the gift of Jesus not be lost on any of us here this morning. But may Jesus, the greatest gift this world has ever received, transform our Christmas to ultimately be about him in every aspect of our life. May we make him known in all that we say and do. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed by your gift of love to us in Jesus Christ. We can hardly fathom what it costs you. And we can hardly fathom doing the same for others, especially those who are unworthy. Yet you willingly sacrificed Jesus for unworthy sinners such as ourselves. You sent your son, born as a baby and born 
to die so that we might live. So we ask, Lord, that you would help us to follow in your footsteps. Help us to love others out of the love which we, we've received from you. And may our love for others demonstrate your love for this world that needs you desperately. So we ask that you would work in and through us to your glory and praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.